You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Traffic disruptions to be here today, and good morning to everyone, or afternoon, joining us later today to watch the sermon. Um, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here again, uh, continuing this series of Lent. So for those who are joining us for the first time during this series, we are observing this season of Lent by taking time to go through a series of sermons that help us think about the cross of Christ that we are going to be celebrating his uh, death and resurrection on Easter Sunday. But until then, we have a lot to think about, a lot to read from the word as well. The purpose of the series, as well as the purpose of this yearly tradition that the church has observed through centuries, is to allow this time to be a time of the year where we realign our lives uh, as we consider the cross of Christ. It's a period of sobering reflection where we really examine how are we living in the light of what Jesus did for us at the cross. And of course, like as we go through this season and we allow ourselves to be, you know, examined by the word of God, this question is pressed onto us. What does it mean to realign ourselves with God? What does it mean to think about our life and see whether we are really living uh, in light of what Jesus did on the cross for us? And another way to put this question is to ask, what does God want of me? What does God want from my life? How does he want to live my life. And of course, Lent is not the only time that we may find ourselves asking this question. Um, maybe you find yourself in a crossroad in your life. Maybe it's a fork in the road. You need to make an important life decision. You're confused about where to go, where to turn. And you're asking yourself, what does God want of you? What is his will for you? What decision will be a life pleasing to him? Or maybe you feel that that you're lost. You know that some time ago you were confident where you are, you were happy, everything was clear, and now you feel lost, you want a way back, you want to know where is it that God has you now and where does he want you to go? And you're asking yourself, what does God require of you? Or maybe you're just grateful. Maybe it's not a hard time for you. Maybe it's, you know, everything is going great. You're reflecting on the cross. You're just grateful for all that God has done for you. And you ask him, how can I live a life pleasing to you out of gratitude, out of love of everything that you've done? Or maybe it's not even any one of these. Maybe you're not even a Christian. You're peeking from the outside into, you know, this um, Christianity thing. And you're just considering, what would my life be like? What would God want of me if I really believe in what Jesus did at the cross? All of these questions are questions about what does God want from your life and how to live a life that pleases him. This was a, this was a question that was posed and answered through, by, through a man named Micah in the Old Testament. So we are going to read from the book of Micah today. But before we read, just to give some context what was going on, he was a prophet that God sent to the people of Israel. The people of Israel was a chosen nation, a people chosen by God to be a light in the world. But through many generations, they had lost their way. They were committing very hideous sins. They were enemies of God at that point, And God was about to bring judgment to the nation. And Micah was a man used to tell them of the coming judgment, tell them that they should repent, that God would bring judgment to the nation, but that also with the judgment came a promise of future salvation, that this wouldn't be the end of that people, that somehow 
they would still be saved from the direst of circumstances, which is the exile that we read about uh, in other books. And then in light of that promised judgment and promised salvation, in light of you know, God's holiness that he has to, um, that, he, that we see in his role as a judge and his mercy in his role as a savior, Micah asks for us, with what, with what shall I come before the Lord? How can I approach him? What does he require of me, of me, this holy judge and this merciful savior? So this is how he asks for us. And we read that from Micah 6, verses 6 to 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Before we see the answer, let's just dwell a little bit in the way that Micah asks these questions. Because the first thing that needs to be clear is that these questions are not about how to save ourselves, how to earn salvation, how to convince God that he should save us. And this is a dangerous thing to think when we read this, because we might read this and think, okay, so what does the Lord require of me so that he gets me that ticket to heaven so I don't, I'm not condemned? So I would do these things to earn that passage to heaven. This is not what this text is about. And that is clear the more we read the Old Testament and the more we read this very short book of Micah, because one thing that is clear all throughout the story of the people of Israel is that salvation comes from God alone. It's never earned by us. In the short book, we see at least two instances, very powerful instances of that. The first is that they are often reminded that it was God who saved them from Egypt. This was a nation that was born in slavery in Egypt, and it was God alone who saved them. They, were the, they hadn't had any beauty or power or greatness that convinced God to save them. It was only God's mercy and power who saved them from that slavery and brought them to be their own nation. So it is God who rescued them without any merit on their part. They knew that, and the prophets were reminding them of that. And also, as we read through uh, these prophecies, it's very clear that the coming salvation of the Messiah that God, God promised that would come after this period of judgment that would save still the nation of Israel and the entire world. It was also by God's mercy. It's not because they deserved or earned any of that salvation. So it's very clear that when Micah is asking these questions, he's not asking these questions so that we have an answer about how to earn our way into heaven. It's about living a life out of gratitude because God has already saved us without any merit on our part. And this is what the, Lent, the season of Lent is about. It's a reflection on the cross, which is a salvation that we have never earned, we have never merited, but that God has offered, for us, offered to us for free. And out of sheer love and gratitude, we ask him, but Lord, how can I now come before you? What, was, what is a life that pleases you, given your holiness and your mercy that you show to us as a judge and as a savior. And this is something that Israel had forgot. They thought that all that religious service was about saving themselves. We see that in that absurd question, 
Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? They were too concerned about doing things that would save them, not remembering that it was God who forgave them, and it was God who could save them, nothing that they did on their part. And the other thing that was um, that is also important about, you know, before we get to the answer, as we read these questions and ask ourselves what kind of questions these are, that these are not about manipulating God to bless us. One thing is that Israel had through those generations of, you know, falling away from the way that God um, had commended them is that they became a lot more like the pagans around them who offered services to the gods to manipulate them to have them bless what they wanted, bless what they were doing. They were, in a way, exchanging things with the gods. They were giving the gods whatever they liked, or whatever, whatever they needed, whatever they wanted, so that the gods would give things back to them. But that's not how it works with God. There's nothing that we can give him that uh, doesn't already belong to him. There is nothing that he needs from us that we can bargain with him. So these questions of how can we approach God, how can we live a life that pleases him is not about how can we manipulate him or give him something that will convince him to bless us in our ways and the ways that we see, see fit for our lives. So why, do, why should we approach God? What, with what heart should we approach these questions and try to answer them? Well, there are at least two very important ones. First, because he is our creator. We owe our existence to him. And not only out of gratitude for creating us, but also the purpose of our lives lie with him. If we were made for anything, it is our creator who knows what the thing is. And if we are to live a fulfilled life, we have to go to him to find out what that is in the first place and live that life in light of that. But of course, maybe even more important than that, he's not only our creator, but he is our savior as well. As I've been speaking about his his. Our salvation comes from his grace, his love, and his mercy. And if we really meditate upon the cost that it had for him at the cross to save us from our sins, there is no way that we are not going to be filled with love and gratitude for what he has done. And this is the heart with which we should approach these questions. How can we live a life that is grateful and loving and merciful to this holy and merciful God? Before we get to the answers, still, I want to dwell just a little longer on the questions that Micah asks for us, because the way that he asks these questions also show us what will not work. What are some bad answers to this question of what is a life that pleases God? And the first thing is, um, I'm going to ask Natalie to go back to the text. Sorry, I know this is out of order. But the first thing is that Micah asks, Shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old? Burnt offerings were given in the law of Moses for them to perform. But one thing that it's not pleasing to God is just that religious service. The religious rituals as if they were recipes to please God. They were not given to be these recipes that you live your life in you know, whatever way, but as long as you kill the goat you know, or the lamb, you know, God will be pleased with you. These are not recipes to please God. And this is something that Jesus had to remind the religious people of his age over and over and over and over. Because there were some very, very zealous people 
about the law that God had given them. We read about the Pharisees all over, but Jesus had some really harsh things to say to them and about them because they had forgotten the heart and the spirit of the law and they were doing it just out of, you know, um, rituals as, as if they were recipes, again, to, to please God, not really wanting to know what is it that God loves and what is it that God wants from their lives, just as that rituals. And this is something that we are in the danger of falling into, that we think as long as I perform, as long as I perform, God will be pleased with me. But God is not concerned about our performance, our religious performance. We'll get to what is it that he wants from us. The other thing that this text tells us, or the, the way that these questions are posed, is that human greatness will also not impress God. You know, can you imagine like killing thousands of rams? You know, if, if, the, if they were asked to kill one, to kill thousand would be amazing. Or imagine like what is a river filled with olive oil? Imagine 10,000 of those. Imagine how immense that would be. And yet that wouldn't please the Lord who made the universe. He doesn't need the sacrifice. He doesn't need the oil. It's not because of that that he commanded those things to be done for him. He's not impressed by anything that looks great and impressive to us. Sometimes we think that human greatness is it's God's seal of approval on what we are doing, or that he's you know, convinced that he should, he should do something for us because we've been done doing great things for him. The kingdom of God is very, very upside down. Whatever looks great in our eyes, it's completely opposite in his kingdom. This is something that Jesus wanted to make clear. He says to us in Matthew 18, 1 to 4, the, the disciples came to him asking, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's a very common human preoccupation. We want to know who's the greatest, who's best. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of, of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn... Unless you turn, right? Because you're not going in that direction. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So we think everything that we impresses us as great in the world and great even in the Christian world, that's not necessarily what pleases the Lord of this kingdom. Greatness, human greatness, is not God's seal of approval, and it's not something that necessarily or will ever impress him. He doesn't want greatness. And the last thing, again, I know it's out of order once more, Natalie, but if you can go back to the questions that Micah poses to us. Finally, we get again to that question of, shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Again, one thing about the nation of Israel at this time is that they had become like everyone else around them, that they had adopted the practices of those pagan nations around them. They were meant to be light to them, and yet they became just like them, even in the worst sins that they were committing, like giving their children to save themselves from the gods. And they were asking if they should do the same for the God of Israel. I think... I'm not going to dwell too much on this, but I think at least this makes us consider that we shouldn't um, resort to worldly recipes for success in a way as we pursue God in a life to please him. We have to be careful not to pursue the ways that the world pursues uh, to achieve success and a pleasing life.
So just a thought. But let's get to the answer. So we've dwelled long enough in the questions, but I think it was clear that we're not asking about what should we do to be saved. We've been saved already as the cross um, is evidence of, and uh, we've seen some things that will not work. So what is it that God requires of us? So let's continue reading the text, and this is what Micah has to say. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your Lord. It's actually quite simple, but let's dig deep. Let's dig into it and see what, you know, we can get from this. Starting with acting justly. This, it's very simple because we all have in our hearts something that tells us we should be doing this already. To act justly is to do what is right, to stand up for what is right, to seek to know what is right and what is wrong, to know one thing from the other. It is to be fair. It is to be truthful in all that we do. We are tempted all the time. And sometimes workplace can be a, a, a great place where we are tempted not to be truthful. We are pressured, pressed to maybe not be fair to others. So we are challenged to be fair and to be truthful in all that we do, in how we treat everyone. And this is the beginning. God wants us to be just to people, to be truthful to them, and to be fair how we deal with everyone. God was condemning the nation of Israel for forgetting this part. He says in other parts of the book of Micah that, you know, the traders, they had different scales so they could take advantage of people who were buying and selling from them. That's not fair. That's not being truthful. That's not being just. And they were being, you know, judged for that. It starts there. It starts by, you know, wanting to know what is right and doing what it was, what is right. It's not to seek your own benefit at the expense of other people. And, I mean, this is the bar minimum. It doesn't stop here, but this is at least the part where everyone everywhere throughout history would recognize as, you know, this is something that we should be doing. Every person throughout history has had an inkling that we are accountable for the things that we do, that there are things such as right and wrong, and that we will be judged for it. We read in Romans that, you know, this is something that God has put in everyone's heart, this knowledge that there is rightness there is justice and that we are accountable for this thing this law has been written in everyone's heart this is what the theologians call the general revelation it's something that is given to everyone it starts there it doesn't stop there but it starts there so let's remember this let's not skip this one it's never it's not only this but it's never less than this to act justly with fairness and truthfulness but also it says that we are meant to love mercy and mercy goes way beyond justice never goes against justice but goes beyond justice is doing what justice doesn't even require of you justice is about drawing the lines and knowing you know when i'm stepping out of line if i'm stepping someone else's toe maybe avoiding to do that is the golden rule as most religions have uh, taught them you know don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you, that's justice. Mercy is the golden rule as Jesus gave us. Do to others what you want them to do to you. Is to go beyond 
justice, beyond drawing lines and not care about lines because you've left the lines so much behind that you're giving yourself to others. It's more than fairness. It's service. It's sacrifice. It is to love others. That's what mercy is. It is going the extra mile. So let's read the verse, the passage where this, you know, expression extra mile comes from. It's from Matthew 5, 40, 42. Jesus says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, which is something that the Romans could, you know, make the Jews do at the time, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You know, if you are really concerned about justice, you will do the one mile that the law requires of you. But if you're considered about mercy, do more than that. You know, the one who begs from you, they might have no claim over your things. Maybe they don't have the right to have anything that is yours. But when you're talking about justice, it's not about just rights. It's about love and service and sacrifice and not being so concerned about where justice lies because it's going much beyond it. Why do this? Because our God has done the same to us. This is what Jesus tells us in the book of Luke. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Why go beyond justice? Because if God had been concerned with just justice, the cross wouldn't have happened. The cross is God going much, 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 much beyond justice. And he calls us to do the same. Don't be so concerned about Justice, because if you are loving mercy, you will fulfill both the justice and the mercy and love. You know, I think just to, to bring this to some contemporary issues, there is a lot, a lot of talk and work and discussions and even controversy around issues of social justice. You know, how can we have social system, uh, just systems, just structures? How can we be just to peoples who have been oppressed? And it gets involved with a lot of, of course, of uh, politics and partisanship and different ideologies and philosophies. And I think that the church has, you know, to a good extent, tried to find its place in that discussion as well. You know, like how much of this is biblical? What is it that we should be coming together and doing in terms of social justice? Is anything of this philosophy that might go against the way that Jesus taught us about our identities? There's a lot of discussion about social justice inside and outside of the church, and I think it's generally a good thing. But how often do we hear about social mercy? How, how often do we read do we hear the church being concerned about social mercy? Because if we are that concerned with social mercy, we would be fulfilling all the social justice requires and more. You know, we are concerned about drawing our lines, how much of the worldly discussion of social justice is biblical, because we don't want to step outside, or we don't want to not be doing what God calls us to do. But if we were concerned about social mercy, we wouldn't be so concerned about the lines. We would be doing both out of love. So this is what it means to love mercy. And this is what, you know, both to act justly and to love mercy can be summarized by loving others, but I think a little more expanded in what it means. But it's not only about how we behave to other people. There is something that God wants of us and requires of us if our life is to be pleasing to him. And that is walk humbly with your God. He doesn't want us just to be good people and decent people to one another. 
He wants to be part of our lives and he wants us to be part of his life. This is what it means to walk with God. To walk with him, it means to live near to him, to have the intimacy and nearness to him that Adam had before the fall. The walking with God that we hear about Enoch and God, about Abraham and, and God. You know, that the relationship where everything that God is doing, we are part of that. We are interested. We want to join him in what he's doing. And we want him to join every area of our lives and be part of it. And to enjoy his nearness is to seek his voice, to seek his counsel, to seek his friendship, is to have this daily relationship with our God. It's not only about how we behave towards others, it's about being part of God's life and having him be part of ours. But it's also to walk humbly with our God, to be reminded again that it's not about greatness as we see it. Maybe, you know, it's to be okay with anonymity, it's to be okay uh, with being seen by the world as mediocre in the things that we do, because we are doing it for the audience of one. We are doing it for him. And it's enough for us that God sees what we are doing. It's being okay with the widow's offering. You know, she, all that she had was something that people were laughing at her. But it was enough for her that Jesus saw, that God saw what she was doing, and he was pleased. And I believe she was one of the greatest in the kingdom, as he tells us um, in the passage that we just read. It's being okay with that humble life, because that life is a life lived for that audience of one, our God and our friend. So what is it that God requires of you? To love others and to love God above everything else. That's how Jesus himself summarized the law. And here it is put, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We tend to forget this. We tend to go wrong in a way when we start or begin living for ourselves, being indifferent to God and to others. What God wants you to do is to put yourself last, is to put others first and put him first, and then let him take care of you as you care for others and for himself. This is what Jesus says, and this is summarized by what Jesus says in Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things that you're concerned about, you know, eating and clothing in your life, these things will be added to you. You don't look out for number one. I look out for number one. You look out after others. That's what he's saying to us. First you seek him, Take him to be part of your life and you to be part of his and seek to serve others. Not, of course, concerned with justice, but going beyond that and out of love, work, uh, walking in with mercy as well. And I'll take care of your life. This is what he says to us. So if you want to be realigned with him this Lent season, forget about yourself and what you have to gain by this Lent season. And ask yourself, what will others gain from your Lent season? And this is something that we can only do, and we can only do in peace, because of what Christ did on the cross for us. Because he, he is looking out for us, and he has given us everything that we need. So now we can, love, so we, now we can act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with him. Amen? So let's pray. God, we thank you, because salvation comes from you alone, Lord. We could, have an, we could never earn it, Lord, or deserve it. And yet, out of mercy and beyond justice, Lord, you saved us through what your Son, Jesus Christ, did on the cross for us. 
So we pray, Lord, for the wisdom and the strength in your power to act justly, Lord, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you all our days. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.